theyeshiva.net. Okay, so today's class is dedicated by our dear friend, Rabbi Cheskel Gutfriend, in honor of the yard site of his father, which was on the 15th day of Cheshvan, Reb David Ben Yecheskel Halevi, good friend. And a source of inspiration and blessing to his entire family and to you, Reb Yecheskel. And thank you for your friendship and partnership. Today's class is also dedicated and the merit <coughs> of our dear friend, Harav Shmuel, Ben Sarah Perel, for a refuah shleiman, a refuah kreiva, a complete and speedy recovery, and Arichis Yomim v'shanam toivis, many, many long, happy, healthy years of prosperity and simcha, menuchas ha-nefesh v'haguf, a lot of nachas from the entire mishpacha with your Ebitzin, and mitoich simcha, and a transformative recovery, Bekar of Mamash, and thank you very much. Today I want to learn with you, with all of you, a source inside, a textual source. It's not a known safer. As you could see on top it says, Oyr Oylam, Parshas told us. The name of the book is, the name of the safer, the book is The Light of the World, The Light of the Universe. It's a commentary on Sefer Bereshis. And this is just one page, page Tuf Yud, 410, from a piece of a very long commentary on Parshas Taldus. The author of this Sefer is a man known as Reb Moshe David Vali, or as some people call him, Ramad Vali. Ramad, of course, is acronym of, thank you, Reb Moshe David Vali. Before I begin, I just want to say a few words about him, so we have a little bit of a historical context and appreciation of whose words and teachings we're going to be studying today. Reb Moshe David Vali was born in Padua, Padua in Italy. Padua is a city, very well-known city in northern Italy, west of Venice, and for many generations had a renowned Jewish community with many great rabbis, sages, teachers. Reb Moshe David Vali, Ramad Vali, was born in Padua in Italy in 1697. In the Jewish calendar, that would be Hey Alafim Tov Nun Zayin. Just for historical reference, it was a year before the Baal Shem Tov was born. Of course, in another region in the world, in the Ukraine, the border between Ukraine, Poland. So Reb Moshe David was born in 1697, and he would pass away, Tovkov Lamad Zion, which would be 1777. So relatively speaking, especially for those years, he lived a, uh, a long life, 80, 80, around 80 years. He was an extraordinary commentator on the Tanakh. He wrote 15,000 pages of commentary on the Tanakh, almost on every Sefer. Very elaborate, very original, fascinating. But most of these manuscripts remain manuscripts, literally for a few hundred years. Recently, they're publishing many of his Svarim, those that they have. He was also a celebrated physician, a great doctor living in Padua. He was also a teacher, and he was known as a Kabbalist, as a great Makubal. In fact, 
He was, they say, the first teacher in Kabbalah of the Ramchal. Ramchal was a contemporary of his, Rabbeinu Moshe Chaim Lutzato, the author of Mesilus Yesharim, the author of Derech Hashem, Das Tvunas, Klach Pizchechachma, and many, many other works. Ramchal was one of the great sages and Kabbalists and mystics of his day. The Ramchal was a student and a colleague of Reb Moshe David Valley. Ramchal passed away very young. He went to Eretz Yisrael with his wife and child, and there was a pandemic, and he passed away in his 30s in the year Tovkov Dalad, which would be uh, 1744, many years before Reb Moshe David Valley, because Ramchal died very young together with his wife and child. But the Ramchal was a student of Reb Moshe David Valley. They say that the Vilna Gon said, when he saw the Mesilis Yesharim, the path of the just, that he would walk on foot. He would walk, that's why I asked you if you walked. He would walk from Vilna to Italy to go meet the Ramchal. They were contemporaries as well. The Vilna Gon lived in that generation. And the Ramchal was a student of Reb Moshe David Vali. He and the Ramchal both were ordained as rabbis a day before Sukkot, Tav Pei Vav in the Hebrew calendar. Tav Pei Vav would mean 1726, or actually 1725, because it's still Sukkot time. And when the Ramchal built an association of young Jewish men who were searching for a deeper experience of Yiddishkeit, searching for a much more immersive experience of Hashem, and he created a chabura, he created like this group in Padua, Italy. It was uh, Ramad Vali who led, who led this group, teaching it, inspiring it. He studied medicine in the University of Padua, graduated with honors. This is early 1700s, so different types of honors. But honors, and he became a great doctor. And on his Matseva, which is in Padua, Italy, you can visit it, the tombstone says, here is interred the great doctor, the great teacher, Hamakubal HaEleki. That's what it says in his Matseva, which means a godly person. He was considered a holy, a saintly person. It's interesting, at the age of 25, Rabbi Moshe David Vali wrote a polemical work against Christianity in Italian. Of course, the country where he lived. It's divided into seven parts. An ingenious, fascinating polemic against Christianity. He also wrote, as I said, 15,000 pages of commentary on the Tanakh. And uh, already in his lifetime and in later years, he became known as a, as a fascinating person, uh, what you would call a Renaissance man, a very colorful type of human being, and a very original, original commentator. One of our members here in the community, Reb Chaim Lowy, who's a very big student of uh, Ramad Vali, sent this to me a few years ago on Parshas Teldus. He comes to our shiurim on Shabbos. And when I read this piece, uh, I have to say that for like us, maybe a second or two, my breath was taken away just from that interpretation. It is so original and out of the box. I was mesmerized, stunned. And uh, I thought it would be very worthwhile to teach it and to share it with you. Not just because of its originality, and it's really a fantastic interpretation, but also it really represents a certain foundational idea that is extremely important to understand, appreciate, especially in our times. 
and in our generation. <clears throat> so a little context. It begins, of course, with Yaakov Avinu, who camouflages himself as Esav and takes the blessings that his father Yitzchak wanted to give to his older brother Esav. Ultimately, after Yaakov leaves the chamber of his father, Esav comes home from the hunt, as the Torah tells the story in great detail and elaboration, with the food that he prepared for his beloved father, who he loved and adored and cherished so much, and his father adored him and loved him and cherished him so much. A moment of potentially great intimacy and affection and bonding. But Yitzchak is trembling, trembling by Yechrad Yitzchak, Yitzchak is overtaken by extraordinary fear and anxiety because he realizes that somebody else came before and delivered food and received the blessing. And Kishmoya Esav is when Esav hears the words of his father that he already gave the blessings to his brother, Esav breaks down, sobbing uncontrollably, pleading with his father to bless him as well. His father says, I already gave away the blessing. And Esav says, do you only have one blessing? Please bless me too. And Esav again is weeping and sobbing on this, on this loss. And Yitzchak finally blesses his son Esav. And what he says to Esav, this is the second set of blessings is, and this is Genesis chapter 27, verse 39, told us Perik Chavzayim, Pasuk Lametes, Yitzchak tells his son Esau, Your dwelling place should be in a place where there's the fat of the land, and you enjoy the dew that comes from heaven above. You will live by your sword, and you will serve your brother. When you will tarid, tarid is a very unusual term. The commentators struggle with it. The Klayaka says, what does it even mean? We don't have such a frequent term in Tanakh. Rashi says it means pain. When you will be in pain. You will remove his yoke from your neck. That's the bracha, that's the blessing that Yitzchak gives Esau. We know the continuation of the story. Esau vows to kill Yaakov. He'll wait till Yitzchak passes away and then he'll murder his brother. And Rivka feels that there's a lot of danger, and that's when she sends Yaakov away to her brother from Eretz Canaan, from the land which will become the land of Israel. She sends her son, her younger son, to Mesopotamia, to the city of Charon, where she grew up, to live with her brother, Lavan, who's living in Charon. Charon is on the border between Syria, Iraq, Turkey, southern Turkey, actually a place that's still called Haran. They spell it in English, H-R-R-A-N, and that's the original Haran. It actually maintained its name, which is very rare. We have, for example, in Israel, they excavate all these sites, and they'll say approximately here was the old Be'er Sheva. Besides a few cities, Yerushalayim and Hebron, which Imam is the same. But here, actually, the name is maintained, Haran, Haran, and that's where Yaakov escapes to from the wrath of Lava. Rabbi Moshe David Vali focuses on three words that Yitzchak tells his son Esau. And those three words are ve'esachicha tavoit. Everybody translates, your brother you will serve. Tavoit, which is associated with the word avoida, which means service or work. An eved, which is a servant. 
Avoid we say Torah avoid avoid generally as you say even avoid this Hashem is serving Hashem right we say every morning the second portion of Kriyashma to serve Hashem Hashem so that's generally the translation of Ta'avid you will serve your brother not always there will be a time he says when as a result of your pain and according to Rashi your brother's shortcomings you will manage to remove his yoke from your neck. That's what Yitzchak tells him as well. But generally, you will serve your brother. Ramesh David Vali, the author of Ayrailam, discusses this, and he discusses this at length in the previous section. But now, let's go in and see his unique historical interpretation of Esachich Tavid. And he says... Yitzchak was saying much more than what meets the eye. We read it, you'll serve your brother, okay? You'll work for your brother, you'll assist your brother, you'll help your brother. He says Yitzchak was talking about an extraordinary phenomenon in history that will change history completely. What is that? These three words are a prophetic vision of the future of how history is going to develop. So let's look inside. It's in the middle of the page. The line starts Vagam. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. The 12th line from the top. There are source sheets here on the Bima. It'll be much more enjoyable if you could follow inside. If, you call, if there's not enough copies, if you could just look with your Chavrusa. <laughs> and if you want to be creative and you have a phone... You can go to theyeshiva.net, and over there on top you'll see Women's Class Tuesday, and there's source sheets, so you can open it up on your phone. <laughs> if you don't know how to do it, you'll ask your three-year-old granddaughter, and she'll do it for you, and email it to you, and WhatsApp it to you, etc. Adank. Okay, 12 lines from the top, the line starts, Vigam. Vigam. I quote, Ramad Reb Moshe David Vali. In addition to the literal interpretation, there is another great or fantastic idea that is intimated in Yitzchak's words to Esav, you will serve your brother. And that is, even in the worship of Hashem, Avaida Salakus means our avaida, our commitment, our relationship to Elikus, to godliness, to divinity. Yifcharuha Edoimim. The Edoimim, Esav was called Edoim, and his descendants were known as the nation of Edoim. According to Chazal, Edoim is the father of Rome, <laughs> what would later become the Roman Empire. So he says, Yifcharuha Edoimim. When it comes even to serving God, the Edomites are going to have to choose. Who are they going to serve as Hashem, as a deity? So who are they going to serve? They're going to choose Likach Lahem To choose as a God, A Jew. They're going to look for a Jew. It means your brother, you say you have to translate, your brother you're going to worship. You're going to worship your brother. Not Tavoid. I'll work for you, I'll be hired in your company, I'll be your employee. That's not what he's saying. He's saying something much more grand, much more intense. 
One day your descendants are going to look for Tavid. Who should we serve? Who should we worship? Who's our God? Who's our Lord? And you know who they're going to choose? They're going to choose your brother. They're going to choose, they're going to choose a Yiddish kind. A Yiddish bachiru. We all know his name. Yeshu HaNoitzri. Yoshka. Yish. Descendant of Yaakov Avinu. That's who they are going to choose to Tavid. He's going to become the target. The source. Whom to worship? It's going to be your brother. That's what Yitzchak was telling Esau. And he explains. Vuhudvar emes. Apparently he realized this is quite breathtaking. So he says, I'm telling you something true. I've learned this from my master, my father. His soul in Gan how did history develop? For generations and generations, for millennia, the nations of the world, the various cultures, various empires, tribes, all around the world, including the Romans, very ancient culture, very ancient tribes, they were pagans. They worshipped the stars, they worshipped the constellations. Their faith was based on the idea of polytheism, which means the world is not an integrated place. There's many gods. They're all competing with each other. They're all competing for power. They have to be appeased. Paganism was the culture and the prevailing philosophy for thousands of years that dominated most of humanity around the earth, around the globe. Each pagan culture with its own myths, with its own ideas, with its own rituals, some of them benign and some of them sadistic, some of them barbaric, some of them horrific, some of them horrific beyond words, and sometimes just various rituals, superstitions or other types of rituals. But that was the culture. But then history develops, and we know the dates. This is, of course, a half a century, approximately a half a century, before the destruction of the base, second base Hamikdash. Second base Hamikdash was destroyed in the year 70 after the Common Era. Now it's 2021. This is 70 which means almost, two ta- almost 2,000 years, 1,900 years and change. Why is it the year 70? Year 70 of what? Year 70 since zero. When does zero begin? What's zero for them, our calendar is 5782. Why are we thousands of years ahead of anybody else? They say that the Chinese and the Jews were arguing, which is a more ancient culture. And the Jews say, we go back to Adam and Eve, 5,700 years. The Chinese says, it can't be. Because we're 4,000 years and you're not there before us. Jews said, why not? They said, what did you eat for 1,000 years? <laughs> <laughs> you just got it. So the Jew answered, sushi. Okay. <clears throat> I wanted to say pizza, but that belongs to Italy of a later time. So wh- why is our calendar so much ahead? And of course the answer is the year zero is officially the year of the birth of this person. The birth of 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 Isia Ish of Yashka officially is the year zero. Whether it's accurate or not accurate is a separate story. But that's when their calendar begins. Called BCE, CE. <coughs> the Beis Hamikdash is destroyed just seventy years after that. So this is close to the end of the era of the second Beis Hamikdash. Now, initially, Rome did not accept Christianity. On the contrary, it was Rome that killed him. And it was Rome that persecuted the Christians and crucified them and tortured them. But then came Constantine, the Roman emperor, 
who basically embraced the religion of Christianity, and then it became the official Roman policy, and that's how it spread so powerfully over the world, because initially they were hunted down. But once Constantine accepted it, then Christianity became the European religion and ultimately ruled over Europe. Of course, the Roman Empire went into decline, and history moves on, but that religion was very powerful. It became the dominant religion, and this is even before Islam existed. Islam would only emerge in the 7th century through Muhammad in Medina. So he says, As history develops, When they decided it's time for a new God, and it's time for a monotheistic God, it's time to discover somewhat of the God of the Bible, who created the whole universe, and who demands morals and ethics. It's a whole new type of God. No, we're not worshipping a star or a constellation. Who did they take? They took the Neitzer Nitov. He says they took the Christian. Yeshu HaNoitzri, who came from Nazareth. That's why it's Noitzri, from Nazareth. In Hebrew, not Seres. So they took him. Nitov is a disgraceful word. To appoint him as their Lord. As their deity, as their God. And that's when the words of Yitzchak were fulfilled. When he told his son Esau, you're going to worship your brother. You're not only going to work for your brother, there's working for a brother, people do that all the time. But you're going to worship your brother. Your brother is going to become your deity. Somehow they felt this Jewish boy Regular Jewish kid, right? <coughs> Just didn't have such a good relationship with his father, wherever he was. Okay, he's not the first Jewish boy in history not to have the best relationship with his father, present company excluded, because here are mothers. But, uh, <coughs> excuse me. You're going to choose him as your divinity, as your divine source. That's Yitzchak's words to Esau. But what's the significance of this? Is Yitzchak praising this? Is he upset? Is he in agreement? He's not endorsing this, chas v'shalom. Here, Rabbi Moshe David Vali takes this one step further. And initially, when you read it, I should say, it could be quite shocking to read these words. It's not words that we're used to. But he deciphers them, he explains them. And it's important to understand this is actually not a complete aberration. Yeah, he says, Christianity for the Jewish people is Avodah But I want to tell you that there is a simon here, there's a sign, there's a symbol here of what's going to happen in the future when Mashiach comes. What? Sheyavdu when Mashiach comes, the world is going to serve and worship Yavdu, Tzadikim, as though they were an embodiment of godliness. What does this mean? This is Judaism? It says, Razal. Our sages say this in Masechta Baba Basra, Daf Ayin Hey. The Gemara says, Asidim HaTzadikim Laasid Lavoi, Sheyoimru Lifneim Kadesh. In the future when Mashiach comes, they're going to say to the tzaddikim, Kadosh, 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 Holy, Holy, which today we say, 
On Hashem, only on Hashem. Kadosh, 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 Hashem, Tzmois, Molechel, Aretz, Says the Gemara, in the future, they're going to say Kadosh to the Tzadikim. But how? Why? How do you explain this? How do you justify this? Do you, why does the Gemara say this? The Gemara brings a proof from a Pasuk. And when it says here Tzadikim, as we'll soon see, he's referring, as the Navi says, in, as the Navi Yeshaya says, Va'amech, Kulam Tzadikim. So the tzaddikim they're going to say Kaddish to. So what happened at that point, when they took one Jewish kid and they turned him into something that is divine, he says, this is actually a forerunner of Mashiach, of La'asid Lava. When this will become the definition of every Jew. This is what Yitzchak is telling Esau. And he says, let's go further. Let's go to the first set of blessings. How does Yitzchak open up the first set of blessings? Not to Esav, to Yaakov. His opening words are, Hashem shall give you. But it starts with a vav. And Hashem shall give you. Which is a strange way to open a blessing. When you open up a conversation to somebody, you want to bless them, you say, Hashem should grant you health, happiness, prosperity, whatever your heart desires. What's and? And we all know in grammar is the beginning of, it's always debatable if you could begin a sentence with and, and the Yekish editors go crazy if you start a sentence with and. But today, yeah, it's allowed. Yeah, Even the New York Times, the paper of record, Begins sentences, Rahman al with and. So I also do it. But uh, that's Mela, and. But you don't begin an article with and. Sorry. Right? But that's how Yitzchak begins. So famous question. So the Medrash gives many different answers. Rashi also gives answers. He'll give and he'll give again. In other words, and he will give means he's already giving. The Medrash says... Yiten lecha, he's going to give you dew of heaven, fat of earth. V'yiten lecha is v'yiten lecha ha'eleikim. What he's going to give you more than anything else is eleikim. We usually translate the pasuk v'yiten lecha ha'eleikim metal shemayim mishman ayaretz. Hashem should give you the dew of heaven and the fat of earth. The Medrash Rabbah says no, that's the blessing. V'yiten lecha ha'eleikim, yiten lecha elakusa. He's going to give you. Eloikim. He's going to give you the gift of having Eloikim, of being one with Eloikim, or as he's going to put it here, as becoming an embodiment, Kivayachal, a manifestation. He's going to give you Eloikim. Eloikim is now you, it's now yours. It's like you own it, it's yours. That's what he's going to give you. There's an interpretation in David and Shemin Esra, we say, Ki panecha nasata lanu. Hashem Eloikeinu, Teiras Chayim, V'yavas Chesed, Utzdok of Rachet, the last bracha, Sim Shalom, or Shalom Rav, and Nusach Ashkenaz. So how does it translate? With the light of your face, you, Hashem, our God, have given us a Torah of life, love of kindness, charity, blessing, compassion, life, peace. But there's a deeper interpretation. Ki panecha nasata lanu, Hashem Eloikeinu. The first thing you have given us, before everything else, you have given us Hashem Aleikeinu, that you have given us. That's the greatest gift. 
The gift of having the ability to be able to have a relationship. You know, we try to give our children everything in the world, especially Yiddish Abamas. But probably one of the greatest things, if not the greatest, is that they can have their own real relationship with Hashem that's indestructible, that's invincible, that endures through thick and thin, because that's the core of, of, of everything. It's the core of reality, it's the core of confidence, it's the core of, of ethics, it's the core of values, it's the core of goodness. It's the core of ambition, of creativity, of Yerushalayim, etc. So he says, so the blessing to Esau is now a continuum to the blessing of Yaakov. You were given the gift, that's what the man says, very interesting expression. He will, he's, he, he will give, he should give you elakus. He's giving you divinity. He's giving you that gift of divinity. And it doesn't only mean that you're going to serve Hashem. It means that you are kevayachal, completely one with Elikim. Like a manifestation of Elikim. So now, he tells Esau, when you guys are going to look for somebody to really worship, when you're going to graduate paganism, and you're like, we need a real God, we need an integrated, holistic God who created the world, who are you going to look at? You're going to choose a Yiddish Engel. Which is, of course, the greatest paradox of history. Christianity produced so much anti-Semitism. Not only Christianity, but Christianity actually produced so much anti-Semitism. And yet, who do they respect most? <laughs> who do they adore? Who do they talk to all day? Who do they believe in? Who do they worship? Just another Jewish kid. My brother told me that he was once, uh, he was once invited to give us a, a, a workshop to a bunch of priests and there were bishops and cardinals, very distinguished priests. And they were just talking about world peace and ethics and values and biblical ideas about education and family. And it became really intimate. Then they asked him to sing a song, and he sang a niggin. It became, I don't know if we could use the word, but like a stickle for bringing. <laughs> without a sponge cake, without the jalapeno herring, that wouldn't fly with them. So... Uh, he told me after a few hours, they were like really, you know, there was a hungevarant, yeah? Can we use that word? So it was a hungevarant. So they turned to him and they said, at the end of the day, who's going to be the Messiah? Now here he was in a bind because, so he thinks, he says, one Jew or another. <laughs> they, they love the Alpha, you know? <laughs> Right? But that, that's what he's saying. Vesachichatavoyt. One Jew or another. So they chose one Jew. When Mashiach comes, that's every Jew. Everyone who's Yaakov. Yaakov Leimei, Zareh Bachayim. As the Gemara says. She'yil et tzaddikim ha'koyach shel alakus. Tzaddikim, and as I said, va'amech kulam tzaddikim, are not just good people, holy people. They have the koyach, the embodiment of alakus of godliness. Ve'gam ha'nochrim yavdum ke'alakus. So here comes his revolutionary statement. What, I'm saying this maybe a little too bluntly, but that's what he's saying, so I'm going to say it bluntly. What Christianity said about one Jew, when true reality emerges, is really the truth about every Jew. It needs explanation, it needs perspective, we're going to get there. 
But that's the revolutionary statement. We're talking about when Mashiach comes. The whole world, the Gentile world, are going to serve them as godly. In order to have a relationship with them, to draw from them. The closeness to Hashem goes through Yisrael. And the greatest honor for the ultimate father, interesting that he uses this word for obvious reasons, the greatest comfort and covered for the of Ha'elyon, for the great father is to respect the children. Bonim atam l'ashem alakechem. Ki soif soif, ultimately, moda zois b'chol aretz. It is known and it will be known in the whole world. She'ilas ha'ilois that ilas ha'ilos, which means the cause of all causes, the primary being, the source of existence, is is Hashem over everybody and everything. Like we say in Rosh Hashanah prayers, Every single creation that has a soul in its nostrils will declare Hashem alakei Yisrael melech, Umalchusoy bakol mashala. Umalchusoy and his kingdom bakol mashala pervades and rules over everything. And yet we say, Hashem alakei Yisrael melech. Because the Jewish people are that manifestation in this world. So Vesachichatavoid now becomes something that relates not to one Jew, but to every single one of them. Now I think it's extremely vital and crucial to explain a little bit and decipher for a few minutes what the Moshe David Vali is teaching us, really based on the Gemara and Baba Basra. The Gemara says in Baba Basra, as I said, tracking Baba Basra, page 75, Rabbi said this in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, and it's a very intense statement. Asidim tzadikim shenekroyim al In the future, tzadikim will be called by Hashem's name. So the name that I usually give to Hashem, I'm calling out to Hashem, tzadikim will have that name conferred upon them. And he brings a Pasuk also from Yeshaya, The Gemara continues that there are three things that will be called on the name of Hashem, Tzadikim, Mashiach, and Yerushalayim. And he brings verses for each one. Mashiach, it says, the Navi says in Yirmiyah, chapter 23, So Mashiach is getting Hashem's name. Yerushalayim also, her name is Yoim Hashem, Apostle in Yecheskel, and finally Tzadikim as well. Rebbe Lezer says, Tzadikim, they're also going to say, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh to Tzadikim. How? Apostle in Yeshaya, V'hoya ha-nishar b'tziyoyin v'hanoisa b'yerushalayim, Kadosh yoyimala. He who remains and lives in Yerushalayim, they're going to say to him, to this person, Kadosh. Or to, to him or to her, to these Tzadikim, Kadosh. Now, what do the Chazal mean with this? We have always been so careful to establish the fact that Jews don't believe in intermediaries. It's one of the great differences between Christianity and Judaism. Every Jew has a direct relationship with Hashem. You daven directly to Hashem. You don't need a mamutza. You don't need a shliach. You don't need anybody else. He's your direct God, your father, your mother, your source, your core, your neshama. What, what is the Gemara teaching us here? And why in the time of Mashiach, if it's true, it's even before the time of Mashiach. 
Over the years, these questions came up in Jewish theology in different ways. So for example, the community of Amsterdam chose a new rabbi. His name was Rebbe Eliezer Rekeach. Rebbe Eliezer Rekeach, he wrote a sefer called Maisei Rekeach. And when he came to become the Rav of Amsterdam, they minted a coin with his visage. That's the type of respect the Amsterdam community displayed to Rebbe Eliezer Rekeach. And on the portal of him entering into the shul and into the city, they wrote extraordinary titles about him. One of them was, he is la'elo min kol Beyond all song and all poems and all praises that you could say about him, he's beyond. Which is of course taken from where? From Kaddish. And who are we saying it in Kaddish about? We're saying it Hasha. And his contemporary, the Yaivetz, the Yaivetz was known as Rabbi Yaakov Emdin. Rabbi Yaakov Emdin, Yaivetz is Yaakov ben Svi. Rabbi Yaakov Emdin, this is the same century, the 17th century. Rabbi Yaakov Emdin was one of the greatest, greatest fighters against those he accused of holding on to the belief in the false Mashiach, Shapsi Tzvi, after he converted to Islam in 1666, 1676. And Rabbi Yaakov Emdin, who lived in the next generation, he declared war against that, and he attacks the community. How do you do such a thing? He's a great man, he's a great rabbi, but how do you use these words from the Kaddish to describe a human being? He was extremely upset. Extremely upset. The Chida, who lived also in the 18th century, the 1700s, in Italy, Rabbi Chaim Yosef Dovler Azuloi, he has a safer bris oilam, and he says, I saw that they wrote on somebody, Kel Melech Yoshev al Rachamim. Now this was not, this was probably not even a Jew, some Tsar, some governor, the king who sits on the throne of compassion. I was so upset, how much Hanifa can people tolerate? Ad <laughs> In his case, he said it was just false flattery to make this guy feel good. He says it's an Isser Gomer. He says, how do you call a person, Melech, Yoshev, Al-Kisirachim, using terms that are used for the Melech HaKovet, for Hashem. And the Chidah says, this should be protested. This should be condemned. And for obvious reasons. One of the great Poiskim, one of the great halachic authorities of Poland of the last generation before the war, his name was Reb Meir Arik. Reb Meir Arik has uh, footnotes on Sefer Hasidim. And he says, sometimes you have to condemn it. You have to know when, yes, when not. And he said, I want to quote to you a Gemara. Should we condemn this Gemara too? And this is what he says. There's a Talmud Yerushalmi. So now you're talking about not some contemporary book. You're talking about the Gemara. Talmud Yerushalmi. Talmud Yerushalmi in Tractate Bikurim, chapter 3. Quotes a posik from Chavakok. We say it in the Avtairah of Shavuos. Vahashem beheichal kotshoi hasmipon of kolaretz. Hashem arrived into his holy chamber and the whole world is quiet. Says the Gemara and I quote, Vahashem beheichal kotshoi, Hashem came into his chamber. Which chamber? Says the Gemara Yerushalmi Bekurim, Da Reb Yitzchak Bereb Elazar, Beknishta the Bekei It's referring to Reb Yitzchak, the son of Rebbe Eliezer, when he came into his base medrash in the city of Caesarea. 
Rabbi Yitzchak had a base medrash, and when he came in to teach, this is what the prophet means, Hashem came into Heichel Kotcha. This is what the Gemara says. So now you, the Gemara is saying, when it says Hashem came into the chamber, it's referring to Rabbi Yitzchak ben Abelazar, who came to teach Torah in his yeshiva in Kesarim, which is in Eretz Yisrael. How does this work? Then he quotes a Zohar. The Zohar is the foundational text of Kabbalah. The Zohar in Parshish Boy says as follows. It says in Shmois in Kisisa, Shalosh Pamim Bashana, three times a year, Yerah calls Churchas Pnei Adin Hashem. Every person, every male should come see the face of the Master Hashem. This is the mitzvah of Aliyah Leregel, Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot, when Klal Yisrael left their homes and came to Yerushalayim, came to the Beis HaMikdush, celebrated there, visited there, were inspired, uplifted, brought offerings, etc. Three times a year. Says the Zohar, and I quote, Man Adin Hashem. Who is the face of the Master God? Answers the Zohar, Da Reb Shimon This is Reb Shimon this is Pnei Ha'adin Hashem Tarashbi. Yeah. The Zoyar, he was one of the authors of the Zoyar, but the Zoyar quotes many of his colleagues and other sages of the time. So he was the main teacher of the Zoyar, but it quotes many others as well. His students, his chaverim, his colleagues. In Parshish Achirei Moiz, the Zoyar says, when Rab Abba and his friends used to see Reb Shimon ben Yechai, when they would see him, they would run after him, and they had a posik to justify it. What was the posik? Posik from Isaiah. Isaiah. The posik says, Hashem yishak. You should follow Hashem, who roars like a lion. That's how they justified them following Rav Shimon ben Yechai. The Gemara says in Megillah, Daf Yudches, so I'm going to be learned in Daf Yoimi, after Rosh Hashanah, the Rebbe quoted Rebbe Laza, said, Vayikra loy, Kale Eleke Yisrael. Parshas Vayishlach says Hashem called Yaakov Kale Eleke Yisrael. God, the God of Israel. Rashi brings it. Malamach Hakadosh Baruch Hu Kare LeYaakov Kale. Hashem called Yaakov as pasuk in Chumash. He called Yaakov Kale Eleke Yisrael. In Parshas Vayechi, when Yaakov is on his deathbed, he tells his children, "He cups who come over to me gather." Listen, Vishimuel Yisrael Avichem. Listen to Yisrael, your father. So the matter says, El can also be written as Kale. Kale Yisrael Avichem. Yisrael, your father is Kale. Yaakov. Ma, Hakadish Baruchu Bayreilimus, Afavichem Bayreilimus. Hashem creates worlds, your father creates worlds. So Yaakov tells, so Yitzchak tells Yaakov, Vitan Lecha Lekim. He tells Esav, Esachichatavit. Hashem called Yaakov Kale. He agreed to Yitzchak. So the Meir Arik says, how do we explain all this? He says, it's all based on the Gemara and Baba Basra. That when Mashiach comes, Tzadikim will have the name of Hashem. So is they going to have the name of Hashem? So then you could say, Man Pnei Adon Hashem. Dorim Shemem Ba'yechoi. Hashem Be'hechel Kotshoi. Is the Bitzah B'Rebelazah. The Chidot goes so far as saying... He's the one who condemned what they wrote on that sar, how f- false flattery. But he says that somebody published a Shal Satchuvah's responsa of a Jew named Rebaruch Engel. And the person who published it in the introduction, he wrote, Rabbeinu HaGadol VaHakadosh Baruch Our holy and great Rebbe, blessed be he. And the Chidah says, how do you write such a thing? But he says, perhaps, 
If the Gemara said that he could call a tzaddik, they're going to call tzaddikim by the name of Hashem. So then Hashem wanted it, and Hashem called Yaakov Kale. He says, perhaps, perhaps it's permitted. So he says, okay, I can't attack him. <laughs> I can't attack him, but if it's for any other reason, you should be mocked, but this is a serious thing. Now before I explain what this means, I want to quote also our Rabbeinu Bechaya. Rabbeinu Bechaya, one of the Rishonim, has a commentary on Chumash. In Parshish Kisisa, after the Jews create the golden calf, Moshe Rabbeinu sets up his tent outside of the camp. So the Pasuk says in Kisisa, in Exodus, it's Shmois Lamed Gimel, Exodus 33, whoever is searching for Hashem, had to go out to the tent outside of the camp, and there he would find Hashem. Asks Rabbeinu Bechaya, you find Hashem in a tent? The Pasuk should have said, if you were looking for Moshe, you went out to the tent. Not Hashem. Not if you're looking for Hashem, if you're looking for Moshe. Says Rabbeinu Bechaya, Mikan Shenikra Moshe B'Shem HaMeyuchot. Here we see that Moshe possessed the name of Hashem. So when you say, Kol Mavakish Hashem, maybe you're referring to Moshe Rabbeinu, not only Hashem. And that's why you see Yaakov was called Kale, Vayikra Lo Kale Leke Yisrael. And he says, that's why it says, by Rivka, and Parshas told us, Vatelech Lidrosh Es Hashem. Rivka was suffering from a tumultuous pregnancy. She went to inquire from Hashem what is going on inside herself. And it says, Vayoymer Hashem Lo. Hashem spoke to her. But Chazal say it was through a shliach, through shame. Shame is the one who gave her the oracle, the prophecy. Hashem didn't speak to her. So why does it say she went to search Hashem and Hashem told her? So he says it's because shame, the tzaddik could be called by Hashem's name. But why? So the Rabbeinu Bechaya gives the explanation. I quote, V'tam adover bekula. The reason in all these cases is, Ki hadovik bedover, nikra al-shem hadover sheyidovik boy. When somebody is connected to something with dveikus, when you're completely one with something, you assume the identity of that which you're connected with. V'nikra hashliach b'shem hashaleach. The shliach, the ambassador, the messenger, assumes the very identity and therefore the name of the one who sent him. Essentially quoting what the Gemara says in many places, in Kiddushin, Mamalaf, and many places, shluchay shaladam kemoyseh. The shliach of a person assumes the identity, the status, and the very name, so to speak, of the one who sent him on, on, on the shlichus. What is Rabbeinu B'chaya really teaching us here? This is the core of the teaching here. Depends how we understand what this means, asidim tzaddikim, that they're going to call them by the name of Hashem, that they're going to uh, say Kaddish to them. Rashbi is pnei adin Hashem. Some people hear this, and there's a word for it in Judaism. It's called kfirah, heresy. Apikorsis, a person is a person. A human being is mortal. A human being is a bus of Adam, made of flesh and blood. Adam yisoyde meyafa v'soyfilafa. It's a very important principle in Judaism. Knowing your greatness, and also acknowledging our frailty. Acknowledging our limitations. Acknowledging our shortcomings. Acknowledging that we're human. People who forget that they're human, right, are very hard to live with. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? People who don't accept their humanness, <laughs> they're not capable of any, they can't, they can't acknowledge smallness inside of them, 
Very, very difficult. We have names for it. Narcissism, hallucinations, arrogance, you know, vanity, pride, etc. Says Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar, you have to understand what dveikus means, and you have to understand what shlichus is. If you see it as somebody standing up and making a statement, I am God. (laughs) I am a deity. I am God. Whatever I say, you didn't hear it from a person. You heard it from God. What I do is divine. Every feeling and instinct is divine. This is a serious problem and it's a serious challenge. And if it's not, push it because the person is unfortunately seriously challenged in his or her capacity, it's something more severe. The reason you could say, the Zoya could say on Rabbi Shimon Yechai, that he is Pnei Ha'adan Hashem, or his colleagues could say that going after him is Achrei Hashem, or Hashem could call Yaakov Kale, or Moshe is called Mavakish, searching for Moshe is called being Mavakish Hashem, or Yaakov could tell his children that he's Kale, because Hashem named him Kale. Or the Gemaras will say that Tzaddikim will have the name of Hashem, you'll say Kaddish. And the other examples that we gave, especially Vashem Behechal Kacha, is the Yitzchak Barabalazu when he came into the yeshiva, is because that one important vital word which is called Bittal. What Bittal means is not nullification that you don't exist, there's something deeper in Bittal. Bittal means that when you align yourself with the source to the point of Dvekas, you become an embodiment and a manifestation of that source. So I could look at Rashbi and say, Man Hashem da Rashbi, not because Rashbi's ego, but because Rashbi essentially suspended his ego so profoundly that his entire being became a conduit for Hashem's light in this world. So when I look at Rashbi, what do I see? I see Hashem. Not because there's two gods. I was once learning this Gemara with somebody. He says, oh, so you also believe in two gods like, 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 like the other religions. I said, no, you're missing the whole point. <laughs> That's Avodah Zarah. That was the great Jewish problem, with, one of the problems with Christianity. Some others, but that too. <laughs> There's an argument in Rishonim if for non-Jews Christianity is Avodah Zarah or not. Because non-Jews are also not allowed to do Avodah Zarah. The question is shituf, when there's a trinity, when there's a partnership, Hashem working with others, are they allowed to believe in it? Many say that for them it's good, but for Jews not. Chas v'shalom. Rashbi was so one. Rashbi was so uh, aligned with the essence of his own reality that there was no separation. There was no chatzitza. There's an interesting uh, an interesting. Uh, Shita in Halacher, Shemim and Gamliel and Mikvayis, that dog and fish in a mikveh are not a chatzitza. It's not the Halacher because the sages disagree. But that's what he holds that fish, somebody goes into the ocean for the mikveh, so a fish gets, uh, gets in between, let's say, a toe, whatever. It's not a chatzitza. Why? Because the fish are submerged in the water, they're not even visible. So they become the water, not a chatzitza. Not the halacha, but it shows you this was a shita in Chazal. Yeah. We have a fascinating halacha when it comes to Shabbos, in, in tractate Shabbos, a period called Amatzniya. It's a fascinating example. Let's say you take out a cholent bean, a cholent bean, one bean, from the private domain to the public domain. 
It's not the shear that you're chayav on. You're not liable on that. Every malach of Shabbos has a shear. When you write, two letters. So if I take out a cholin bean from the public domain to the private, or it's not an, I'm not liable because it's too tiny. It has to be a larger, larger volume of food. What happens if I take out the cholin bean in a pot? So I have a big pot, but I'm a very aesthetical person, so I don't carry around cholin beans. So even if I want to take out one cholin bean, it's in a cholin pot or crock pot. So I put it in the pot and I carry it to your house. I'm not talking with there's an air. So the you should be liable because you're carrying a big pot. So the Mishnah, no, you're not. You know why? Because what's the purpose of the pot? To carry the bean. So the whole pot is just an accessory. The whole bean is an accessory for the pot. I'm sorry. The pot. Sorry. Bad. Bad mistake. <laughs> Don't do that on Shabbos. The whole pot is it's bottle. It's, it's an accessory just for the bean. And the bean itself doesn't have a shear. So the pot doesn't make you liable because the pot doesn't exist as an independent. If you take out a pot because I want to bring a pot to your house, then I'm liable on Shabbos. If I made a mistake, I would have to bring a carbon time of the base of Mikdash. But I might see Eichlin Pachas Mikashir, Potter Afalakli, Mipnei Shaklit Feilaloi. It's a fascinating halacha. Since the Kali identifies itself, who are you? I'm a vessel. I'm a container. I'm a conduit. I'm a utensil. I'm a Kali. That's who I am. That is my eye. So now you are, so to speak, the bean. If you're the bean, you don't have enough shear to be Chayav on Shabbos. And that's the halacha. It's a fascinating halacha. Why is this the halacha when it comes to cholin beans and pots or whatever food you're taking out in a pot? Because spiritually it's that way. I could see my I in two ways. Ani, I am. Ani is the same letters like ayin. Shira malis esseina yalaharim me ayin yavayezri. One translation is me ayin. From where? Ayin, because ayin also means nothingness, right? You say yesh mayayin, something from nothing. Ayin means nothing. So mayayin, from, from where? Like, I don't see it. But there's a deeper interpretation. Mayayin, Yahweh Ezri. My Ezri comes from ayin. My Ezri comes from that reality which is intangible, it's infinite. The fact that I don't see it is not because it doesn't exist. It's because it's much deeper than what my retina and my brain can decipher and process. Today we know that if you actually see something, somebody came to me the other day, he was a teenager. So he says, I only believe in what I see. I'm a rational person. I only believe in what I see. I can't believe in things I don't see. I said, very geschmack, I love that. But here's the thing. If you would study a little science, you would know that today we know that if you see something, it probably doesn't exist. The only real things that exist are things that you don't see. Because what you see is basically, you don't see anything. You see the frequencies of light that manage to get to your eye and get interpreted by your brain based on your own finite tools. That's the reality that you see. Even colors is a great question if they exist. Colors are the way my eyes happen to interpret a certain frequency of light. And if my eyes would be designed a little differently... There are animals, birds that see colors that I could never see. There are animals that hear sounds that I could never. So I said, but let's not talk about things you don't see. Do you think the coronavirus exists? 
And did you ever see it? <laughs> Do you think elect- electricity exists? And did you ever see it? Another question. Do you think atoms exist? And did you ever see them? Do you think the atomic bomb was real? You can ask them in Hiroshima or Nagasaki. Or Eppenheimer and Einstein. Do you think cells exist? Doctor, cells exist? And they're pretty important, right? Are cells important? Do you think genes exist? Do you think your genome exists? Do you think your DNA molecules exist? He says, what are they? I said, good question. But let me just tell you, there's no you without them. (laughs) Whatever they are, I also don't know what they are. Some type of interesting helix. But whatever they are, that's you. So if they don't exist, you certainly don't exist. Ayin means that which I can't see. I don't have a tangible grasp. Not because it doesn't exist. Because it's deeper than the existence that's defined by my limited tools. So who's the Ani? I could define Ani as Ani. And I can define the very same Ani as Ayin. My Ani is much larger than I imagine. My Ani is not a small little ego trying to protect itself and become defensive because of its insecurity. The Mishnah says at the end of Kedushan, Ani nivreisi l'shamash eskaini. It's like the Cholon pot. Ani nivreisi l'shamash eskaini. I was created to serve my Creator. And there's another version in the Mishnah, Melech Shlema, Ani loy nivreisi elo l'shamash eskaini. The real Ani is a ladder that's standing on the earth, but Roshim Agiya your Ani is the very same letters as Ayan, because my Ani is really a conduit for infinity in this world. However, when we live in a world that's not transparent, where there's more concealment, so now there is a rift. I could look at my Ani, I'm trying to figure out do I have value, do I not have value? Who am I, who am I not? This is what we struggle with, it's called the struggle of identity. I'm busy protecting myself. I deal with my fears and my anxiety and my insecurities and my identity and my calling and my ambition and trying to figure myself out. And can I get out of my brain? And can I get rid of my self-consciousness? And can I ever transcend my self-consciousness? What so many people would do to be able to walk into a mitzvah, to a wedding, to an event and not feel themselves. Anybody? Right? People do a lot of things just to get out of that. To, to put stop... You remember tape recorders that stop? Yeah, you remember that stop? You think you could do that in the brain? <laughs> to stop the eject. <laughs> That's even better. But before eject, those lines stop. Stop that mental chatter where instead of living, I'm a narrator of life. You know the narrator? Okay, so now you're here. So now you're going here. Oh, so you walked in. So you walked out. She thinks this, but... Can I start living instead of being the narrator of my life? That's the struggle of Ani. When Ani opens itself up to Ayin, Ani doesn't become less powerful. Ani becomes the ultimate power. Not because I'm egotistical, but because my Ani becomes a channel for the ultimate Ani. Maida Ani lefonecha. Shechazar tabi nishmasi. Neshama shenasa tabi So then shluchai shel adam kamaisa. So what's the greatest message? A person could teach themselves and their loved ones, according to Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar. Tell me if you ever heard this, that you are a divine ambassador. (laughs) It's the most empowering and humbling thought simultaneously. What makes it so empowering is because 
If God is invincible, you're invincible. God has no issues with self-confidence. You shouldn't have issues with self-confidence. What makes it so humbling is, there's not an element of arrogance, or inferiority, or insecurity, or fear. On the contrary. Adam says the shalah. You could translate as Adama, earth. You can also translate it as doime. You're a mirror, you're a reflection. Like dimyon, dome. You're a mirror of the divine in this world. So somebody looks at you, and what do they see? They see a reflection of Hashem's love, hope, light, compassion, authenticity, authenticity, integrity, healing. So when you looked at Rashbi, you could say, Man Hashem Not a second God, Khalila. That's clear. Because Rashbi's oneness. Living in Gula consciousness, there's no separation, there's no chatzitza. He's a conduit. Rabbi Yitzhak Rabbi Laza came in to teach Torah. There was no ego there. He was a conduit. So who was there? Hashem was there. To put it differently, Hashem is everywhere. Hashem is everything. The only reason there's separateness is because in my mind, I can entertain the idea of separateness. The moment my mind opens itself up to the truth of Einoid Mulvadai, so my eye merges with the ultimate eye. Panim bepanim dibur Hashem imachem. Shluch hashladam kamaisa. In the Rabbeinu Bechayi's words, complete dveikas. So now the eye dissolves into a conduit for infinity. So who's giving the shear? Who's teaching in Kesarin? It's not Rabbi Yitzchak Rabbi Lazar. It's Hashem Behechel Katra. What Rabbi Yitzchak needed to achieve that place is not become bigger. He had to suspend everything and allow true reality just to flow through him or flow through her. And when true reality flows through you, so then who's giving the shear? Hashem is giving the shear. You know, there was a father, he was a rabbi, he would give sermons, and, and uh, I, I wasn't talking about myself, I was talking about Yitzchak, but Abelaz are giving the shear. <laughs> It'll be a while, maybe. But uh, there, was this, uh, there was this father writing sermons. So his son was a little kid. He says, Tati, what do you write all day? He says, I write sermons to inspire the people. This is not a story that happened with me. So uh, he said, Daddy, who tells you what to, what to write? You know, you know, your children ask you questions when the people don't have patience because they're asking two brilliant questions, you know, and you just don't have patience. So he says, God tells me what to write. He says, so Tati, why are you always erasing everything? <laughs> yeah, from the mouth of babes, right? This is what the Maggot of Mizrich says. The Maggot of Mizrich says, it's, it's such a beautiful Torah. Yeshaya Hanavi quotes Hashem. Hashem says, he says, Harem Lift your voice like a shoifer, like a horn, a ram's horn, and tell my children, their sins and transgressions. Asks the Magid, why like a shoifer? You could tell somebody, raise your voice. And what if it's like a trumpet? <laughs> and what if it's like a piano? It's like a drum? Or what if it's like, raise your voice? What's harim kashoifer kelecha? Lift your voice like a say, Well, he used an instrument. He wanted to say it should be loud, you know? Declare it from the rooftops. <laughs> Let freedom ring. Let them do tshuva. Why shoifer? This is what the Magad asks. And that's how you tell the Jews my sins. Their sins. 
So the Maggid says, God says, if you're going to raise your voice and tell people about their sins, make sure that you're a shaifer. What's a shaifer? A shaifer, if you ever saw how they make a shaifer, if the shaifer has material inside of it, nothing is going to come out. You're going to go... What do they do? They have to hollow out the shaifer. And now you take the beginning of the shaifer, the, the edge of the shaifer, and you go, do, and your voice is carried through the shaifer, which is just a channel. The shaifer doesn't create the voice. The shaifer channels the voice. But because it's going through the horn, and it comes out from the other side, it has this resonance, this symphonic resonance, if you know what you're doing. da, 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 da. Before you give Musa to somebody, he says, Harim for Kelech. If we're going to feel your ego, if we're going to feel your insecurity, if we're going to feel your judgment, your anger, your dismissiveness, you're not really talking to me, you're talking to yourself. You're embarrassed with me because I'm your child. I didn't turn out the way you hoped I would. So you're dealing with tremendous shame or tremendous guilt or tremendous pain, which I understand. But that's what then you have to talk about. Don't talk about God. You're not ready for that yet. Only when you're really, when you work on yourself, real communication is communicating to yourself. The Baal Shem Tev said, real talking is listening. That's real talking. People who talk and don't listen, look who's talking. They're not talking. They should be talking to themselves. The Gemara says in Megillah, A word is worth a sella. Silence is worth double. Why? Because silence is also talking, but it's talking to yourself. It's the silence of reflection. It's the silence of meditation. Am I really a shoifer? When I'm communicating with you, am I a conduit? Or is the message convoluted and distorted in my own unresolved anger? Everybody's with me? Okay. I don't have to explain this, right, for this crowd. You get it? This is so important. I'm screaming. I'm just unresolved. I'm I'm in a a lot of issues inside of me, which is normal. I'm human. But I have to realize that's what's coming through. So Hashem says, can you empty yourself out? And that's hard work. The work of becoming one with Hashem is not to get something more. It's to get rid of everything. You are divine. It's all there. You're good. You're healthy. You're wholesome. You're happy. You're infinite. You're powerful. You're Hashem's manifestation in this world. But there's a lot of static. So what's the main avoid? I don't have to gain anything. I don't have to create anything. I don't have to acquire anything. It's there. I have to remove the static of my traumas. Now sometimes, a lot of work for many years. But it begins always with one step. Reb Shimon ben Yechai was that person who cleared up the static. So he was a conduit. Reb Yitzhak ben Rebbe cleared up the static. Yaakov has the name Kale because Yaakov was a complete Merkava. So Hashem tells Yaakov Kale. Moshe says the Medrash, the Shechina speaks through his throat. In other words, he was a shoifer. That's why we blow shoifer on Rosh Hashanah. Why? If we want a musical accompaniment to davening, finally, put in a violin. A violin concerto on Rosh Hashanah. 
You don't want a violin, so sign a guitar. You don't want a guitar, so sign a cello. Nobody ever chose in the son's bar mitzvah, your daughter's wedding, in the orchestra or shoifer. Right? I never saw. It happened in Spain. In Spain. Huh? A shoifer? Okay. No, I thought it was the mic. In Spain, during the years of the Inquisition, when the Jews were expelled and the Muranos, the Jews, Anusen, were forced, so they had a big symphony. And the Jews were the musicians. Officially, they weren't Jews anymore. They were Christians. And they did it on Rosh Hashanah, and they had a shoifer. <laughs> so all the Jews in the crowd heard shoifer on Rosh Hashanah. One of the chief rabbis of Israel went to Spain, and he gave the king of Spain a gift to shoifer. He was saying, why are you giving me this gift? So he said, 500 years ago, after 1492, they had to hide the shoifer in a symphony among a huge orchestra to be able to have Jews hear the shoifer. Now Jews could blow shoifer in Spain open. I'm giving you this as a gift. Why do we blow shoifer on Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of Adam and Chava. What's the anniversary? Vayipach ba'apov nishmas chaya. Hashem blew into Adam and Chava a soul of life. Like when you blow a shoifer. Vayipach, that's what we do on Rosh Hashanah. Stop speaking, start blowing. Because it's the recreation of Adam and Chava. What is Adam and Chava? Hashem blew in. What does this mean in life? When I look at myself, Hashem is blowing every moment. I'm not blowing the shoifer. He's blowing the shoifer. What's my job? Just be a shoifer. Just be a conduit. And in that conduit, the person reaches their deepest potential, their deepest creativity. Because then it's divine creativity. It's divine wisdom. It's divine infinity. That's the true ambassador of Hashem. When a person wakes up in the morning and says, who am I going to be today? I'm going to be a shoifer. No static. It's going to stay hollow. And then the voice that resonates reaches the world. Says Yitzchak, this is the first blessing. I want to give you elokus. So it's the ultimate one is when Mashiach comes. The world is going to be a place of transparency. So every Jew will emerge to be who he or she truly is. The soul is a piece of Hashem. What do you mean a piece of Hashem? How do you be a piece? Hashem has pieces. A piece means, like you say, a child is part of the parents. It doesn't mean the child is a part of the parent physically. It means a child is the manifestation. The child first was the seed and the egg of the parents, and then it's manifested in the world. Every Jew, becomes a manifestation, of Eloika in this world. Says Reb Moshe David Vali, the Christians did it in their own way, with their limited tools, with their limited understanding, based on Yitzchak's words, but there was a truth there. He says it's a simon for Mashiach without the distortion. The distortion is there's God and there's Yashka. <laughs> that can be a distortion, terrible distortion. But it's a simon. What's the pnimius of it? The pnimius of it is what they said about him. Yitzchak Avinu was saying ultimately about every Jew, V'yitin l'chayel like him, Asidim tzadikim, She'yikaru al shmoi shel HaKadosh Baruch Hu, V'amech kulam tzadikim. The Jew becomes transparent to himself and to herself. The world looks at the Jew and what does the world see? A manifestation of Hashem in this world. And then there's no race, not never a question of racism and bigotry and disrespect. 
Racism comes when there's ego, when there's arrogance, when I use my skill or my wealth or my power to manipulate, to degrade. Being chosen by Hashem as His people means what? Being chosen to be ayin, to be a conduit, conduit for Hashem. To be chosen to show every person that they're chosen in their own unique way. That's a different type of cho- choice. That's a different type of khir. He says when Mashiach comes, they're going to feel, I want to serve the Jew. Oh, please. Democracy, <laughs> enlightenment, equality. If one doesn't understand what that means, indeed it can be misconstrued terribly. What does it mean to serve the Jew? It means to serve the Jew who's the Jew. What's the Jew? Yisrael, Yehuda, Yaakov. Somebody whose very identity is, I'm a conduit for Hashem's light, for Hashem's love. The moment it becomes about me versus you, my color war team versus your color war team, my party versus my, your party, you lost the Nekudah. That's not the Atav HaKartan That's party politics. V'esachicha tavoid. Is this thing in Vital The Rambam says in Hilchis Malachim in the Laws of Kings chapter 11, the Rambam says something fascinating. He says, we don't know the mysteries of how history evolves. But he says the two religions of Christianity and Islam were a preparation, he, quote, he says, I quote, L'yasher derech l'melech ha-mashiach. It was paving the road to Mashiach, the Rambam says. Why? Because they brought monotheism into the whole world. Till Christianity, most of the world was pagan. Christianity introduced the Judaic ethic of one God with its own interpretations of what that means, the Trinity, with ethics that there are morals, Ten Commandments, thou shalt, with all the stuff that they brought in, and many of them, the Rambam says, were great. So even though he says there was blood and war and violence and torture, but the consciousness, he says, of Emunah in one God was introduced. And Mashiach will finally repair it and correct it and the whole world will become one. Here he's telling us it goes one step deeper. <laughs> this is really, really stretching it one step deeper. The Rambam speaks about monotheism. The Rambam speaks about the various ideas of the Bible that Christianity introduced into the world. Respect for family and respect for property and worshipping one God. The idea of Sabbath, the idea of rest, the idea of respect, the idea of charity, etc. Together with distortions. Here he says there's even one more aspect. That element of Christianity, which we all look at and say, this is not a Jewish thing. Because it's not. That Yitzchak said, when you're looking to worship God, you're going to choose a Jew as the representation of God in this world. He says, that's also a simon of Mashiach. And just like the Mashiach world is not the Christian world, but the Rambam says, it paved the way. So he's saying this is a simon for the truth that every single Jew is not just a servant of God. Every Jew is not just somebody who was chosen to do Hashem, learn Hashem's Torah and do His mitzvahs. Of course that. Every Jew is not just somebody that Hashem loves and Hashem cherishes and Hashem is proud of. That's all true. But now there's the ultimate step. The grand finale is the words of the Baal Shem Tev, God is alts, alts is God. You are Kevayachel Hashem in this world. So you wake up one day and you say, I'm scared. I'm insecure. I'm overwhelmed. Who am I? 
What am I? Life is really getting to me. Things are really tough. So there's a lot of things we do to help ourselves. But at the core of it all is, you have to understand who you are. Never make a mistake about who you are. Who are you? It's not just you have schusim, you're a good person, you have yiches, God loves you. We love that, it's all true. <laughs> We're not taking anything, anything away. But now take it to the last step. The last step of Gula is, you are the divine. You. You're shutuf la'kadosh baruch hu Not because my ego is so big. Because we're capable of becoming conduits. Where the ani becomes a channel for ayin. Where Hashem shines through me. Where Hashem shines through you. You are His ambassador in this world. You are Hashem's light and manifestation. Kevayacha. I still say the word kevayacha. Because we have to have that respect and humility of understanding. The difference between egotism and bittal. You are that ambassador in this world. So when I'm facing a crisis... When Hashem sees something difficult in the world, He doesn't say, Oh my God, I'm going to drown, I'm going to be overwhelmed. This is your world, you were sent here. Because you are the Shluchay Shaladam Kamaisai to bring in the divine, infinite love into this place. Rublevitzik of Baditchev, the Kedusha Slavi, writes in Parsha Shoiftim. I quote, it's also very startling. He says, Hashem tells the Jewish people in the Parsha, don't bow down to the sun and the moon and the stars. I never gave them mitzvahs. So everybody, what does that have to do? Don't worship them because I didn't give them mitzvahs. So Rashi says it's like a word is missing. I didn't command you to worship them. The mitzvah says, no, it's literally. The sun and the moon and the stars never got a mitzvah. They're not shluchim of Hashem. They're creations that each in their own way reveal Hashem's covet. But mitzvah, which comes from the word safsa, connection. Mitzvah means connection. You got the mitzvah. You become one. And I quote the Beritzik of Barditchev, Mutar You can bow down. Bow down? We don't bow down to anybody or anything. Mardechai lo yichra velo Jews don't bow down. That's true. The tzaddik? Nobody. Depends how you define a tzaddik. Define the tzaddik as a good guy, a holy guy. You're not allowed to bow down. You could respect him. You can honor him. You should honor every person. Certain people deserving of special respect. If you understand the ultimate meaning of that word tzaddik, there's no I. So who are you bowing down to? You're bowing down to Hashem. If there's an element of I, don't bow down, run fast to the other direction. The real leader, the real tzaddik, the real Jew, is not somebody who has everything, who has extra things more than other people. The most important thing that he or she has to have is the ability to suspend everything, to suspend an ego, to become kashayfer kelecha. Now I want to finish with you the last two lines of Ramesha David Vali. The interesting thing he says is that Esav understood this. <laughs> I read the Pasuk, I didn't understand this, but I guess Esav was Yaakov's brother. I'm going to take it one moment. He was Yaakov's brother and Yitzchak's son. So he understood. He understood us. He understood that doesn't just mean you'll get a job. You know, your brother's going to own a big real estate company. He'll give you a big salary. You won't have to stress out. He'll take the stress. He'll pay you a nice check. 
Shalchichetavit means something else. So he finishes off, he says, this is the last the, uh, one, two, three, five lines from the end of the paragraph. <laughs> I couldn't make that up and I didn't pay the guy anything because I don't even know who he is or who she is so here we come now to the last point okay we got the message thank you Hashem Harim Kashoy for Kelecha yeah those of you who teach or communicate, when you become like a shoifer, magic happens. That's the truth. Mirac- I don't want to say magic. Miracles happen. You know what I mean? Those of you, there's a moment, musician, artists know it. There's a moment when you become a shoifer, when you're not present, when there's no self-consciousness, there's a different energy, and people are touched in ways that you can't imagine or expect. Because it goes beyond your imagination. It goes beyond ego, expectation. There's like a higher energy that comes into a room doesn't happen often, because when people get up, they're usually thinking about themselves even more, right? But if you get to that place of shoifer, and you're like, you're, not, you're just not there. When you're not there, then you're really there. <laughs> then you're fully present. Your static is not there. Your fear is not there. But your elokus is there. That's why full presence always comes from suspension of everything else. So now he finishes the last lines. The, he says, V'amnam. To be ready for this truth, you have to be refined. When he heard this, he understood it. And the hatred became very deep. He thought Yitzchak meant it's going to happen. This person really took the class seriously. They heard me talk about Rosh Hashanah. They thought maybe it's Rosh Hashanah today. And, uh, okay, it's wonderful. Wow. <laughs> Pretty interesting, no? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. May we all merit to be that shaifer. So he says, how can he tolerate this? He's going to worship Yaakov. So he wants to kill him. And then he's not worshiping anybody. So Yitzchak is telling Esau, when you're in pain, and as Rashi says, when the superiority of the Jew comes from a place of ego and not from a true place of bittel, then you don't have his yoke. It's when Yaakov lives up to the true Yaakov, that's the Geula Jew who's just a transparent conduit, then the whole world automatically becomes subsumed in that light because it's not me versus you one person versus another person, it's the oneness that pervades all of us and the entire universe. Have a wonderful week. Yes, you wanted to ask. Next week, 12.45, please share it with your friends and relatives. Thank you. Yes. You have to be very careful. I'm going to say this. These things could be misconstrued. Sometimes people have reverence to the wrong people. (laughs) And the wrong places. That's the concept of Mashiach. So this is my question. Is this it, it starts. It starts. It always starts. Everything of Mashiach starts before, as a preparation. But you have to be careful, because sometimes people can also 
surrender to cult ideas and indoctrination. This type of bittel never comes from uh, brainwashing. You understand? It comes from full creativity. It's not coming because I don't think and therefore I suspend my mind and I just sell myself. You understand what I'm saying? It, come, it has to come from, from ultimate intelligence, not from the suspension of intelligence. The resistance to Yaakov can only be when it's ego versus ego. <laughs> you understand? When it's ego versus ego, you know, you can only fight with somebody who has an ego, right? <laughs> I insult you, now you insult me. I denigrated you, you denigrated me. Quit per quo, right? I was right, you were right, I was right. So you understand, an argument could be ego versus ego. When somebody doesn't have an ego, you, you can't argue with me. I'm not here to... I'm on your team. I'm, I'm not... You understand, I don't have to be right. I'm looking for the truth. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Very powerful. Okay, so now, so this misconception has to be healed. Because we often teach our children. I didn't even tell it to her. I'm not blaming you. No, she might have learned it at school. That when Mashiach comes, everybody's going to be our slaves. Yeah. Then they grow up a little bit. They hear about slavery in America. They hear about Abe Lincoln. Yes. They learn about equality. They learn about the Declaration of Independence, human rights. And they learn about, and, they, and there's suddenly a huge conflict between a primitive idea and culture. Is it good or bad? Right. So the truth is that today we have to articulate it in much more intelligent and real terms. Yeah. Say, my dear Jews are the chosen people. You're going to serve the Jewish people is another way of saying, right? You're going to be inspired. You're going to be inspired by people who see themselves as non-existent outside of Hashem. <laughs> you get it? <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying? What does it mean Hashem chose the Jewish people? That he says, you're superior to everybody, so therefore... You rule the world. So your behavior has to reflect it in the most kind way, but the deeper. If you were chosen by Hashem to be close to Him, Hashem is infinity. So what were you chosen? You were chosen to be nothing, to be a conduit. Being chosen by Hashem makes you not humble, it makes you infinitely humble. You understand? Not humble, infinitely humble. <laughs> The exact opposite of manipulation and bigotry and, and uh, you're you're so that's why yeah when somebody sees a rabbi for example right that his home it sees is selflessness you want to surrender you want to be macabre why but, but, but why because you're not going to be abused exactly because you see the Hashem exactly not because he's God but because he's nothing. You understand? When the world sees this in a Jew, I want to serve you. It's the biggest chos. But for that, the Jew has to become the Jew. <laughs> That's hard. That's gula. That's gula.
driving the Bianca Rebbe's daughter to the airport no. to take her to the airport because she was going back there to school. And the phone rang, and he, he got up at 4 o'clock in the morning to wish his daughter that she should have a safe flight. This, to me, was gross. You remember that his daughter was born on a plane? Yeah. Sometimes it comes down to a tiny thing. It's like, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Great people, great people are those who take people who others call small very seriously. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.